Stories are all around us. They inspire us, they connect us, they ignite our emotions, and they can lead to tangible impact. Yusuf Omar has made it his life's mission to promote storytelling as a vehicle for change and to mobilize communities across the globe to shape their own narrative. After an accomplished career in journalism, Yusuf was disillusioned with traditional media. He felt the urge to innovate, and so he decided to co-found his own media initiative with his wife, Sameya. They co-founded Hashtag Our Stories, a media company that aims to cut the middle person and go straight to citizen journalists, providing them with inventive tools to create quality content. During Global Goals Week at Expo 2020 Dubai, Yusuf discussed the vital role that storytelling plays to engage and inspire audiences to achieve impact. After the talk, we sat down with Yusuf to learn about how he thinks storytelling can increase the impact of the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, or SDGs. I'm Tariq Lalimi, and this is People and Planet, a podcast from Expo 2020 Dubai's program for People and Planet, where changemakers from all over the world break down what it'll take to create a sustainable future for our planet. An important and vital topic to inspire other people to take action. journey through space and time. An extension of our natural wealth. It's us together. It's so beautiful. the Optimize women's contribution security to build a brighter Human beings have been telling stories as long as there's been language and art to express them in. And you are someone who has pioneered this ancient craft. You think in stories, you remember in stories, you experience and interpret the world in stories. And it's a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you. That was such a romantic uh, introduction. Really poetic. I love it. And I'd love to start from the beginning. Can you tell us a little bit more about your upbringing, the environment you grew up in, and how it inspired you to tell stories? I'm basically the result of migrants of migrants of migrants, right? So about 150, 160 years ago, Indians arrived in South Africa. Uh, Some of them came as indentured laborers that were basically building railway tracks and sugarcane plantations. And then there was a generation of like uh, merchants that arrived. And that was my great grandparents that arrived from Gujarat to South Africa. Apartheid in South Africa crumbled after Nelson Mandela walked to freedom. And as I'm sure you know, the apartheid system was an awful uh, thing that existed then and today in, in, in other parts of the world. Living, doing business or owning land in white areas was banned. That was an ideal. Uh, It forced various races to live in their own segregated communities. It deprived them of different types of education, different bathrooms, different buses. And my dad's father didn't want his kids to grow up in that world uh, where they were very limited about the opportunities that they could have. So when my dad was just three years old, they got on a ship and headed to the UK in the 1950s. And long story short, that's where I was born. And do you remember the first story that was told to you? Do I remember the first story that was told to me? That's a really good... I think the first stories that were told to me would have almost certainly been religious stories. 
right? Because as somebody who has grown up Muslim, I would have been taught surahs and kalimas and uh, attributing my name, Yusuf, as a prophetic name. Uh, so I, I think religion, Islam, was probably the first story that was told to me. And I'd love you to tell us a little bit more about, you know, the variety of all these previous experiences of where you worked, what you did, and how they shaped that passion for storytelling uh, as you grew up and now in the current day. Well, let me start by saying I, I, I finished a degree in marketing and management, and I actually did the final year in the U.S. And I finished it and head to New York City, and I was sitting in Times Square looking up at these giant billboards I was like, this is the mecca of marketing, right? And in that moment, I looked up at a guy with a big, tighty-whitey jockey. And in that second, I realized I don't want to do marketing anymore. Like, be this man, wear this underpants. Like, that was not what I was put on this earth for, to sell underpants. Uh, so I had a real middle-class lack of direction, started applying for everything from like biomedical science, and I didn't even remember, honestly, that I applied for journalism. Didn't cross my worldly mind. Um, and then one day I got an email. I'm sitting in Australia at the time to say that I got a scholarship to study journalism in South Africa. I was like, what is this? I phoned my parents and my mom was like, accept it quickly in case they realize they made a mistake. That's how little confidence we had in, in, in this entire opportunity. So I accepted it, went off to South Africa with, you know, really no thoughts of ever being a journalist. And to be honest, no teacher ever recommended to be a journalist. It never crossed my worldly mind. I was not particularly strong in school. I'm, I'm not a very, still not a very good at reading. Um, and fell in love with the idea of being a storyteller for a living, being able to share narratives, being able to travel, meet people, talk to people for a living. What a thing. And South Africa was an amazing place to be a journalist. Like, it's still young. It's a 26, 27-year-old country. It's deeply divided. Uh, there's huge crime and inequality. And that makes it a very easy place to be a journalist. There's stories everywhere. I wanted to be a foreign correspondent, though. I wanted to tell stories of wars and natural disasters and, you know, to, to really see the world. And every newsroom that I asked said no. So you're too young, you don't have enough experience. And to be honest, the golden age of foreign correspondence was behind us. The time where, you know, there were, you know, you had somebody stationed in Russia. So in 2010, I packed a backpack full of old t-shirts and this head full of like crazy young dreams and started hitchhiking from South Africa to Syria, from Durban, which is on the east coast of South Africa, to Damascus. And I'd always seen this narrative of Africa as this big, bad, scary place, right? I've seen Danny Archer and Blood Diamond and <laughs> these kinds of narratives of child soldiers and famine. And what I saw was the complete opposite. I saw some of the fastest growing economies in the world. I saw a young population. I saw stories of hope and aspiration. And that trip really taught me two things. One, it taught me that how to really focus on solutions and see that there is a different story that, that, that traditional media is often not capturing. And two, it taught me how to become a one-man band storyteller or what I became known as a mojo, mobile journalist. The ability to, you know, to write stories and shoot and edit and write tweets. And 
you know, have many different storytelling weapons at my disposal. You know, and as you're speaking, I'm, I'm getting this image of what you're incredibly good at is also making visible all these invisible stories that are around us. And I'd love for you to tell me a little bit more about what solutions journalism is. I know it's a type of journalism that was recently created. And just if you could speak more to what inspired you to it and, and explain to the audience really what is at its core and its essence. Yeah, definitely. So there's lots of different words that are used, right? People will use solutions-based journalism, solutions-based storytelling, constructive journalism. And I'm not one that really cares for definitions too much. Like I, I, I kind of, you know, I'm more about the essence of what we're trying to do here. So we might not necessarily have a, a tangible solution for uh, racism, inequality, but we can talk about things in a very constructive way, right? We can take the conversation forward. We can bring people to the table. So I think these are the two camps that, that, that we are at the intersection of. The solutions-based storytelling and this kind of very constructive journalism. And I honestly believe that two things. One, it's a lot harder than normal journalism. Anyone can report like what's happening, but to really understand why it's happening and how we can make it better, that takes a different layer of insights. And the second thing I would say is, in an age where a lot of journalism is going to be automated and a lot of storytelling is going to be automated. I'll give you an example. If you are covering the Olympics, it's easy for an algorithm to say Usain Bolt ran this date on this time at this distance. And, you know, it, you, can, you can automate that storytelling. At a time where storytelling is going to be automated for the simple stuff, for the what happened, where it happened, we as storytellers need to focus on the why and the how and the insights and the analysis. Um, and that's why I think this solutions-based storytelling space, this constructive journalism space is so interesting. Incredible. And I also want to contrast that we were speaking at Global Goals Week at Expo 2020. Um, obviously, everything that you talked about, you can also frame in one version through the SDG, that's good health and well-being. You're talking about you no know, poverty. You're talking about gender equality. And I wonder if you can tell us a little bit more about the turning point of when you decided that you were done with more traditional journalism and instead decided to uh, co-found Hashtag Our Stories with your partner in goodness, uh, I believe, your wife, Samia. Yeah, Samia is amazing, and I wish she was here on this podcast, but uh, hopefully she can join a future episode. So I go from working in newspapers in South Africa to working in a TV station, 24-hour reporting, that kind of stuff, to moving to India and becoming the mobile editor of the Hindustan Times, where I had to train 750 people to tell stories of their phones. That was just our journalists alone. Um, to eventually going to CNN International. And that was my dream job. I'd always wished to be, this is CNN, you know? And, and be careful what you wish for, because you just might get it. It's 11 p.m. in London, and it's midnight in Brussels. It'll be official. The UK no longer a member state of the European Union. The final approval from the European Parliament uh, We can now project the winner of the presidential race, CNN projects. Donald Trump wins the presidency. The business tycoon and TV personality capping his improbable political journey with an astounding upset victory. Donald J. Trump will become the 45th president of the United States, defeating Hillary Clinton. Um, a few things became very clear to me. We were at the time, if you'll remember, uh, two of the biggest stories of our time. Traditional media completely missed both of them. Nobody thought Brexit was going to happen, and nobody thought Trump was going to win the elections, no matter what they tell you today. And the reason for it, we believe, is because 
They weren't listening to real people and real stories anymore. It was all experts and pundits and commentators. And those people were far more educated, more wealthy, more elitist than the average people on the ground. And that's a huge issue. So not listening to people was, was basically, in my opinion, meaning that we weren't having an accurate portrayal of what's happening in the world. I saw a critical lack of diversity. Uh, you know, in an in a, in a office where there might be 200 international reporters, uh, I was the only one that I know that identified as Muslim. Um, and, you know, people are coming to me to ask me, oh, what should we do with this? I'm like, I don't know. I'm not even a very good Muslim. Like, <laughs> I'm the wrong person to ask. Um, we realized, okay, media lacks diversity critically, and they're never going to be diverse enough internally. So what do you have to do? You have to train external communities to tell their own stories, and then we can have a really diverse newsroom. And two, they're obsessed with negativity, right? 20 people have to die before it's a story. These two things, an obsession with negativity and a lack of diversity. And we start telling people about our idea. We start saying to, to newsrooms and, and thought leaders and speaking on keynotes, we got an idea. We're going to train communities how to tell their own story. Because they already have access to Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat. Not, a lot of people don't know how to tell a story. And we're going to curate that into shows. And we, we think that there's like an iceberg. And at the moment, at the very top is all of the stuff that the, the user-generated content that the media is curating. It's the funny stuff like Chewbacca mom. It's the messed up stuff like a terror attack. But we say below that, there's billions of voices. My name is Yusuf Omar and I'm a mojo, a mobile journalist. I wanted to be a foreign correspondent in Syria and they said I was too young. I wanted to tell stories across Africa and they said it was too dangerous. I wanted to start a global citizen journalism network and they said, Yeah, but this isn't journalism. I would die rather than do it. I don't want to watch it either. <laughs> Curating selfies isn't journalism. How can we fight COVID-19 with rap and dance? I am Job, a mobile journalist and a South Sudanese refugee living in... Hundreds of thousands of pods, tampons, tampons and bras annually. We donate the products to homeless shelters, domestic violence shelters, LGBTQ agencies, and refugee agencies. I hear the word home. It makes me quite upset. I am a first-generation immigrant. I was born in Iran, but I've lived here for 23 years of my life. When we came here for protection. I definitely had to grow up quite quickly. My child was just constantly analyzing everything and becoming your parents' translator and their business advisor. And people laugh at us, literally, at conference after conference. They mock us, they laugh at us. And you can leave that situation feeling disheartened, but it did the complete opposite to Samaya and I. We left that and we were like, oh my word, they don't get it. They don't see it. They don't see this enormous opportunity. They don't see that we can like literally create a media organization from people's perspectives. We don't need their infrastructure. We don't need their satellite trucks. Still with journalists fact-checking and verifying and making sense of it all. And yeah, a couple of years later and, and, and we've done it. And you've met and heard stories of people from all over the world. Um, are there any stories from the storytellers using hashtag our stories that really stuck with you to this day? We cover a variety of different topics. We have nine shows, right? We have Our Money, which looks at entrepreneurship, Our Minds, which is mental health, Our Health, which is physical health, we, we, uh, Sex Ed, which looks at sex education. And in each of those shows, there's incredible stories that will stick with me forever that were told 
by storytellers themselves. We didn't have to hold their hands. We provide them with toolkits and they tell their own story. Some of my personal favorites um, include during peak COVID-19 in New York City, there was this um, Muslim grave digger in New York City. And he's like a proper New Yorker. Like he's got the big jacket and he's like a really cool, tough guy. And it's cold, he's wearing gloves and he's bawling his eyes out. He is crying and crying as he's in the graveyard. And he's just like, make sure you guys isolate, make sure you guys stay at home because I'm seeing COVID-19 on the front line. That story hits home for me hard because Though he's a Muslim gravedigger doing janazah funerals, and those funerals might be slightly different to another New York funeral, at his essence, he's sharing the same universal themes, all right, of sorrow and loss and hardship and being that unsung hero that's having to put his life on the line and be a frontline worker in drastic circumstances. Um, and that's where we're at. Like, for me, you talk about the North Star or kind of guiding light. We're creating the world's biggest human experience library. Uh, he's sharing a human experience. People are sharing different mental health human experiences. Um, and I think that's incredibly valuable. And of course, we are in Expo 2020, which is being held in the middle of a pandemic, um, which is uh, an orchestra of different human experiences that are coming together from different countries and pavilions and peoples. And, and of course, one of Expo 2020 slogans is connecting minds and creating the future. And I wonder, as you've experienced the Expo, what are your thoughts on it as it relates to storytelling? So the Expo has completely dumbfounded me. It blew my worldly mind. And I mean that with the Biggest sincerity, I will say it on record, it is the singular greatest event I've ever attended, ever. And I've attended events in about 100 countries. It is off a scale and creativity like you can, it's unreal, it's just nuts. It's like, I was expecting it to be a bunch of countries saying, hey, come and visit us. But what it is, is a bunch of countries saying, we have the tools to save the world. Let's do this. I've seen Rwandans that are, you know, trying to deliver blood with drones because they've got bad roads and mountains. I've seen communities in Peru that are using nets to, to, to collect water on the mountains. I've seen all of these local innovations that could apply to so many other communities around the world. And I suppose you could say, okay, you can find that information online, right? Why do you have to have an expo? Where the expo gets really interesting is that it gamifies learning. It's very immersive. When you're learning about solar, you're operating a solar panel with your hands and you're navigating it and trying to catch the sun, which is on a big plasma screen in front of you. When you're looking at artificial intelligence, you're looking at an enormous brain the size of a building that's in front of your eyes and, and learning about how the internet connects all of our minds. It visualizes things that are really difficult as a storyteller to visualize. And that is an incredible thing. Um, especially off the back of a pandemic, where we've all been isolated for two years, it's quite humbling to be like, wow, people have been working on some really creative stuff. They've been pushing the needle forward in a bunch of interesting ways. It literally feels like you're 
About 10 years into the future here, complete with the security guard robots that tell you off for wearing a mask, not wearing a mask. And it's the world's greatest show, but it also sounds like it's the world's greatest platform also of solutions. And you gave a masterclass uh, at Expo 2020 on January 19th called Creating Positive Impact for Expo's SDGs Storytelling Lab event, uh, which was held at Global Goals Week. I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about the masterclass and what you covered as you related to the Global Goals. Yeah, I gave a session where I basically made the case that good storytelling is not a sidebar. It is the singular most important vehicle to bring about change. I've been a journalist for a long time. I've been a foreign correspondent in Syria. I've traveled to about 100 countries. I've seen bad and good storytelling. Bad storytelling is fluff, right? It's just distracting. We don't know what to focus on. Good storytelling is everything. It's literally what we get behind. It's what people, it galvanizes people to make real fundamental differences to address these goals, to address the sustainable development goals. It's so important, good storytelling. So like at the expo, there's so many interactions where you can touch things and do things and play games and experience things. That's immersive storytelling, and it's so good. Like, it goes right to the heart. You can also do it through a mobile camera. My company's created augmented reality lenses where we can use a koala to navigate us through national parks in Australia. We've created lenses so you can use your face to recycle and sort between waste. You can use a bee and navigate it to find pollen and avoid pesticides. Interactions, games with your face, that engages young people. And we've seen 4 million people in the last year alone play these games. So people love it when they can interact with storytelling. The second idea that I spoke about was the idea of sustainability being focused on solutions-based storytelling. The sustainability narrative of like, oh, we got too much plastic in the ocean. Oh, there's too much garbage on this site. It's tiring, we don't want to watch it, we don't want to share it. Like, our generation have been inundated with negativity through our mobile phones since the day we were born. We want answers. So sustainability has to focus on solutions, it has to focus on answers. We have to say problem and solution, and that's highly shareable content. Look at your Facebook timeline, people share solutions. And the third opportunity that I spoke about was mobility. And the idea of mobilizing communities to tell their own stories. We don't need to send a correspondent out to tell a story for somebody else. We should empower those communities to tell their own stories and give them toolkits. I love those examples. And I just want to push a little bit further on that last point. Like It's really interesting you mentioned the impact of storytelling and also its potential actually for achieving the SDGs in so many different ways. What does that mean to the everyday citizen? Uh, how can they equip themselves with these tools? How can they empower themselves with becoming uh, storytellers, rebringing those narratives and shaping those narratives out in the world? The first thing I would say is you do not need to spend any money. You don't need to buy a microphone or lights or a tripod or any equipment. You, most people have a Ferrari in their pocket, but they're driving it in first gear, right? They've got this 4K or high definition phone which they can capture footage to the average citizen is indistinguishable from a broadcast camera. You have the power already. You just got to start using it. Secondly, start communicating through the camera. Try moving your communication with your friends and family 
from texting them on WhatsApp or, or text to starting to send videos. Because then you'll start thinking in terms of visual storytelling. And third, don't be precious. I think sometimes we're, we hold ourselves back from this opportunity to share our story because we, we, we worry that it's not of a certain standard, it's not good enough. The internet has never been more forgiving of shaky, handheld, bad quality audio. It doesn't matter. Like, I could shoot something on a, on a $100,000, $200,000 camera and the stories that we get from a community in Kenya will perform 10 times better. So really, like, you don't have to be precious. Start getting content out there and looking at how people respond. And that's the only way you're going to learn. And for many, the SDGs might feel like this distant, intangible concept that it's hard to walk into that complexity. How does storytelling help to make that impact real? And can you give examples of fields that your storytellers have covered, uh, like the one that you mentioned in Kenya, that have maybe made these on-the-paper ideas and concepts and visions uh, tangible for, for the everyday person? I think most individuals and organizations today are trying to do the right thing, right? You see companies across the board that have CSI and CSR initiatives that are aligning themselves with the SDGs, even if they don't quite know it yet. So I think that's a great place to start in terms of finding stories, right? Even in your immediate community, you can find recycling programs that are taking place, gender equality movements that are taking place, and, and tapping into those stories. Um, the thing is, the internet is a very competitive landscape. There's a lot of noise. You really have to try and find stories that make you say, wow. So for example, we've got a storyteller in Cape Town who... We did a story on how he turns human urine into bricks. He uses human urine and uh, biomimicry as an agent uh, combined with a, a bacteria to create bricks at room temperature, which is a huge innovation. You don't have to rely on these big ovens. It's very scalable. It's amazing. So that's the kind of story I tell my friend about. I'd be like, oh my word, there's a guy who's taking human urine and making bricks. I also think... Um, when you're finding these stories, we often spend a lot of time capturing the story and not enough time thinking about how it's going to share. So aligned with these SDGs and the kinds of innovations that you're finding or the solutions that you're finding, think right from the beginning about your engagement strategy. What is your headline? What is your share text? How are people going to comment? Why would they share this video? Generally, people share things because it represents something about themselves, right? I share a video about climate change because like, I care about climate change. But understand that before you even go into the project. I suppose that's the main advice I would give you. If you're trying to align storytelling with the SDGs, go into it trying to understand why somebody would share this content first. Because if you can't come up with a good reason for that, you're going to really struggle to gain organic reach. And that's going to get frustrating. And I wonder, how have you managed to combine many worlds in this one world in which uh, you're operating in? of explaining difficult concepts, connecting SDGs with each other, uh, connecting so many different emotions and really expanding uh, our sense of how we're connecting to these issues in a way that's interesting, that's engaging uh, for people. And really what makes Hashtag Our Stories different from traditional media outlets in this sense? I think at its core, it's people's perspectives. We're not speaking to politicians, we're not speaking to spokespeople and experts, we're speaking to people on the ground in a lived experience. Uh, which is tragically and surprisingly ignored. You said a very important word there. You said emotions. Emotions are at the core of it. 
You want to make anyone care about climate change. You want to make anyone care about mental health, physical health, gender equality, uh, even life underwater. Find a human emotional connection to that story. It is the only way you're going to win this. Lead with emotion. And it's it's also interesting, I think, to see that larger platforms are also trying to start to go into what you shared in terms of emotions. For example, the movie Don't Look Up, mm-hmm. uh, which was this satirical film mixed about reviews. mixed reviews about climate change. And it's trying to work with the many complexities in the space. Um, it's trying to tell these many different stories into one. It's trying to break down, engage um, audiences in a very different way. And, and as you said, mixed reviews uh, from how it was received from climate activists like myself to, to maybe the everyday person has maybe never come across these these topics before. I wonder in that context, as you see these larger platforms starting to go into that kind of space, where do you hope to see the future of storytelling? The future of storytelling, and I'm obsessed with this idea, and I will, I will keep saying it and keep saying it. Over the next nine years, by 2030, the future of storytelling will be layered onto our world. I wear a pair of camera sunglasses every day of my life, and I've done it since 2016. And I already have screens on my face. I'm not talking about virtual reality. I'm not talking about removed from the world. I'm talking about layering the internet onto our world. We did a project in Boston uh, about a month ago, and we took a bunch of historical images of Boston uh, and the women's suffrage movements and other movements in the Boston, the first woman to run the Boston Marathon, and we layered those stories onto the city. So you could walk around with smart glasses around the city of Boston. You could see the stories of what had happened, the protest movements, the first woman to run the race and she was getting pulled off by the race conductor. You could hear poets that are narrating and explaining that journey. That is where storytelling is heading. It's heading in an incredibly immersive space where you see the world through somebody else's point of view, literally through their perspective. And I fundamentally believe if we can walk a day in somebody else's shoes, we really can start to understand their lives. We can create more empathy and more understanding. There's, that's, what's, that's one of the issues that's wrong in the world today, right? Like you, you, you're uh, somebody living in Europe and you, you don't like refugees, but you have no context of their life. You have no idea why they left, uh, what they're fighting for. And if you could contextualize it, if you could walk a day in their shoes and, and see the world through their point of view, you'd actually understand that they're not so different to you that they aspire to the same things. They also want their kids to go to college. Their kids also watch Game of Thrones. Like we have more in common than we have apart. And I really believe the future of storytelling through augmented reality, through immersing you in other people's lives is one of the most effective ways for us to create more empathy. Um, It's been such a pleasure to, to have you with us. And thank you so much for weaving these beautiful stories. And thank you so much for walking us through the world through your eyes and also through your wearable camera. Thank you. Thank you very much. People on Planet is an official podcast of Expo 2020 Dubai, creating a sustainable future for our planet together. Learn more by visiting virtualexpodubai.com or searching Program for People on Planet. People on Planet is produced by Kerning Cultures Network. Episodes are released every second Monday. Hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. 
And if you enjoyed the show, share it with your friends and leave us a review.